And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined, as always, by my friend and colleague from Stadium, Michael Felder. And we are bringing in our good friend and colleague at The Athletic, Chris Vanini, to break down the big news in college football. We had a week two firing at one of the marquee places, one of the blue bloods in college football. Clay Helton is out at USC. Um, news broke on Monday. And Chris is our guru for all things coaching changes and the market really. And so we wanted to bring you in before we get into anything else from the weekend that was and week three that's coming up um, as we talk here on Power Hour, where we talk about the biggest stories in college football in an hour or less. So Chris, hello. Good to be here. So Chris, let's just get right into it. Um, You know, Clay Helton is out. It's been a while since USC has had a real full search which I which I want to get into, but also just let's start with this. How good is this job right now and how good is this job supposed to be? I mean, this should be a top five job in America, really. It, it, you're in Southern California. There's so much talent there. The Pac-12 is not a behemoth like the SEC, so you should be able to win it, especially your division, almost every year. And the facilities are pretty good. They should pay pretty good. I mean, Clay Elton was making... I think around $5 million or more for a guy who hadn't won all that much. So, yeah, USC has everything to offer, and, you know, almost every coach in America is going to be interested in this job, and they should be. All right. Um, I, I not push back, but I, the question I'm going to like, how much money do they really have? I think that's an interesting part of it because it seems and, – and actually, it's not how much money do they really have. How much money are they willing to spend, I think, is the right. bigger question. Right, and I think uh, Helton's buyout is around ten million. Is what's been out there. It's a, it's a bit, but it ain't Gus Malzahn at Auburn. And you know, I I think USC knows they need to get this one right. I think the athletic director Mike Bone knows that this is serious. They need to get donors involved in everything. Otherwise, why do you fire a coach after two games uh, if you're not going to put everything you have into this search and into finding this next coach? And especially the timing with the Pac-12's TV deal coming up in a couple of years, you need USC to be good. Because when USC is good, your ratings will be better as a conference. And so it behooves USC even more to make sure they get this one right because it'll lead to more money down the road uh, in terms of the conference TV revenue. So, Chris, one of the um, hallmarks of deciding to promote Clay Helton and the hires before it were that it had to be a USC guy, USC ties. This was something that was incredibly important in past searches and promotions. Do you think that that is going to be a factor now with a new athletic director? 
It shouldn't be. And yes, that has been a problem for a long time. Lane Kiffin was a USC guy. Steve Sarkeesian was a USC guy. Lynn Swan, when they made him the athletic director, was a USC guy. And that's not to say, you know, Lane Kiffin or Sark were, were not qualified for the job at the time, but you got to look outside your, you know, your window there. And I think Mike Bone, the athletic director coming from Cincinnati, he was not a USC guy. So so that's where it starts. You, you don't have somebody in there like Lynn Swan who's going to give Clay Helton an extension when he doesn't need it and put the, put the program in a more difficult spot. So, yeah, you're going to have a lot of people interested in this job. There also aren't that many USC guys left out there to hire who, who have not already had this job. I mean, Lane Kiffin and Sark are head coaches elsewhere. So, yeah, they, they need to go outside the family, and I think – I think Mike Bone realizes that. Um, I'm going to – so we keep talking about this job like it's a job that a lot of people want, a job that people – like that's coveted. And so let's – I think that I, I want to like, – let's be – like outside of location, what makes this a job that people want? It is it's, – it's in the Pac-12, so you theoretically only have to get past a couple of – schools to get into the playoff it's not like the sec west where you could make five six million dollars but you have to play lsu and alabama and all kinds of other teams every year now you know a guy like mario cristobal who's at oregon will he want the job i don't know he may not he's already on top of the pac-12 you know he's probably a bit underpaid at oregon still even though he got a raise last year but yeah i i think the the uh the ceiling is pretty high and the floor is pretty low at a place like that. And you look at the quarterbacks who have come out of California in recent years, you know, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, DJ Wangalale, and not that Keaton Slovis was bad or anything, but there's been a real talent drain out of California. And so there's still a lot of talent in that state, ton of talent in that state. So it's got a lot uh, to offer for any coach. Yeah. I think that speaks to the location. I, I, I guess for me, the big, the big question becomes looking at this job. And I think that because there is a little uh, a, t- a hint of Miami with this job, right? Private school in a big city that people are like, that's the sell is like, look where we are. We've got this. We can, we're in LA or we're in Miami. See what it is. But outside of Columbus, most of the college football that we see get played comes from or Austin, and Austin hasn't been that good since in a while, really. Most of the college football that we see get played comes out of smaller towns, smaller communities, right? They have that familial feel. And I guess the big question that I would have for you, Chris, is like, how do you create – What do you, what's uh, – like, take all the names off the board, right? Whether it's Franklin or Campbell or Fickle or Cristobal or – take all those names off the board. How do you create a culture – that Pete Carroll kind of had, and not to duplicate Carroll, but to create a culture of winning there without the same sort of familial thing that you see at Clemson or the program situation that you see at Alabama? Or do you take Alabama's idea of this is a process and try to implement a similar strategy at USC because it's not going to have that same familial situation that, you, that, that you're going to get in a small-town USA? Right. And I I mean, going back to Pete Carroll, I mean, USC used to be like cool, like really, really cool. The the celebrities that would show up to games like that all the time, you know, the being the quarterback at USC made you a big time celebrity in California. 
at, at, at one point well, in LA. Well, I just want to jump in there. Yeah. I was um, standing next to Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush on the sidelines at the end of Ohio State, Oregon, and the constant, Reggie, 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 give your Heisman back. Give him the Heisman back. Like, <laughs> it was incessant. People, like, if you are a star at USC, you are a star for life. Anyway, that was just my Yeah, no, that, that's a, exactly. That's a great way to put it. I mean, Liner didn't have much of any NFL career. Reggie Bush was solid, but not spectacular in the NFL. Those guys are known for what they did at USC. And that's the platform that USC can provide if you are successful. And that's what I think USC needs to get. Now, obviously, you're not going to be considered a cool program unless you're winning. I, I mean, obviously, that, that's where it starts. So you have to win. But in terms of what makes the USC job a bit different... I think that's part of it. So, and you mentioned Reggie Bush, obviously, Nicole. Um, but when they're good, they play defense. When they're good, they are monsters up front. You know what I mean? Like their offensive line has two guys get picked in the first two days of the NFL draft. Their defensive line has a guy that gets picked in the top ten. Their defense has linebackers for days. And how important – like every name that we see up and down this list – in terms of the short list, with the exception of Luke Fickle, they're all they're offensive guys. When do they? When does the, how does USC become salty again? Because that's something that for me, and, and maybe it's because I'm I'm so hyperly focused on defense. What is it going to take for them to become salty? Because we talk about the quarterback mass exodus, but they didn't get Justin Flo, and Flo is a monster defensively. We've only seen him get to play, you know, a game, but like this guy's a beast. How do they keep those California defenders in state? Because those guys are mean too. Yeah, I, I mean that goes back to the job Mario Cristobal's been doing. He's grabbed I think nine or ten top one hundred kids the last couple of years. A lot of those kids from Southern California. And the the, the flip side is. How salty can anyone be on defense these days? It's not 2005 anymore. You know, you see with the the numbers that Ohio State puts up on Clemson, that Alabama puts up on Ohio State. Um, you know, when it comes to those types of games, you're probably going to need to be in a shootout. But week to week, you're going to have to shut down opponents in the Pac-12. And, yeah, Cristobal is recruiting at an SEC level up at Oregon. He, he took that Alabama model, and he's got it up there. Justin Flo, Kayvon Thibodeau. They've got some defensive studs up there. He's an he's an offensive guy, but he's an offensive line coach. The the, the trenches matter there. And you, like you said, USC is not tough up front, and they haven't been for a while. And that's something we've seen at Oregon. We saw last week when Oregon went up to Ohio State and won. And I keep bringing up Cristobal's name. I'm not saying he needs to be the guy or anything. I'm just saying it's an example of the kind of thing that USC needs out of its next coach, whoever that is. Okay, so so let's get into those names because because uh, obviously we've we've mentioned some of them. There there's when it's a job like this, there's gonna be a short list of of coaches who are qualified. A lot of these names are sitting head coaches, um, but Chris, part of your job profile is running through these names. So give us a sense of who USC should and could target. Well, we've said everything we need to say about Mario Cristobal, probably. The, the, the only interest, the, the, the biggest question I think was him is whether or not he wants it. I mean, he was paid like $2.7 million last year, which is near the bottom of the Pac-12, and now he's above four, which is still probably underpaying him relative to the market for coaches. 
So does he does USC interest him in terms of a pay raise or does it not because he's already on top of the Pac-12? Does he wait a couple years at Oregon to see if Nick Saban retires and does he go back to Alabama where he was an assistant? So that's a big question. But the other names, James Franklin at Penn State's been, you know, linked to this job for years when when Clay Helton's been on the hot seat. He's produced three top 10 teams in the last couple of years. He recruits at a top 15 level. He's a dynamic personality uh, that kind of, uh, you know, fits that kind of market, but he's getting paid like $6 million and his buyouts, I think about 4 million. So USC would need to pay up for James Franklin, Matt Campbell at Iowa state. Obviously they lost last week, but he's still a hot commodity, including from the NFL. Uh, does, you know, Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 in a few years, does that heighten the urgency to to get out of Iowa State, considering what the Big 12 is going to be? Uh, Luke Fickle, Cincinnati head coach, was hired by Bone, Mike Bone, at Cincinnati back in 2017. So there is a familiarity there. He's never coached outside of Ohio, though. You know, can he, it, can he handle a job like that? Is he interested in a job like that? We don't really know yet. Um, other possibilities, Tony Elliott, the Clemson offensive coordinator, P.J. Fleck, the Minnesota head coach, uh, maybe Kyle Whittingham, the Utah head coach. And then people are going to bring up Urban Meyer. I don't think it's happening. We can or don't have to get into why. Uh, and then, you know, Bob Stoops, is he interested in getting back into football? Maybe. I think you give him a call for sure. So um, before we let you go, Chris, my, my last question on these lists, because anytime any big job is going to come open, we're going to have similar names. And I'm most curious about Matt Campbell's situation because we've talked so much over the years about what he's built and the culture and, you know, kind of whatever we want to compare it to, like the process at Alabama, et cetera. Is his situation different based on what just happened with the Big 12 over the last eight weeks? Like, is this going to be the offseason where Matt Campbell is willing to make a move? I, I think it already was going to be because this year's team brought essentially everybody back from last year's team. It's not going to be the same team next year. You're going to have to rebuild a bit at certain positions. This was supposed to be kind of the climax year, and it hasn't been that. They barely beat Northern Iowa, and then they lose to Iowa. So, you know, they can certainly turn it around win the win the Big 12 or something like that, but I think that was always part of it. And then, yeah, you have to think about the future of the Big 12. N- not necessarily this year, because Texas and Oklahoma aren't leaving for a few years, but Clearly, the Big 12 is not going to be what it was. Iowa State's not going to have the money it currently has because the Big 12's TV revenue is going to go down in a few years. Uh, so I certainly think you look at that more. But what that job is for Matt Campbell, you know, who knows? Is he waiting for a Michigan or Ohio State or Notre Dame to open up? Or does the NFL interest him? He's a Midwest guy. Um or, or maybe USC. Maybe USC is the spot for him. We've never really seen him coach at a major program with expectations he's always been uh, an overachiever he was at Toledo and now he's at Iowa State you know that that's not USC where you're expected to contend for the national championship so we haven't seen him handle that but I think he's certainly a guy if you're USC you know you make sure you get him on the phone awesome Chris thank you so much for your insight um follow Chris and the athletics coverage of The coaching search that is now underway at USC week two. Uh, It's going to be fascinating to see which direction they go. Thanks, Chris. Yep. Thanks for having me.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic. Felder, what was your reaction when you saw the news that they decided to do this after the Stanford game? Um, this is going to be really annoying. <laughs> like, I just... Like, fire him in December when you took the two weeks to decide to, to keep him. Like, fire him then and then have a real coaching search and a real coach and the whole deal. Or, like, I don't know. Like, for me, I'll be honest. They fired him on Monday, right? This comes out on Tuesday. They fired him on Monday. Monday is the day that I – Monday is my favorite day of the week. It's when I watch football. It's when I get to watch and rewatch and take notes and chart plays and do all this stuff. And then this comes up and I'm like, oh, well, I guess this is the thing that we're going to have to talk about. Not any of the actual stuff that happened or is going to happen. So that was my initial reaction. And then, I don't know. I, I, look, Mike Bone, I thought he did, obviously, from Cincinnati to Colorado. I think he did a good job at Colorado. He's hired, he hired a couple of good coaches at Colorado. And I think that's going to be interesting to see what he does here. I don't think he is beholden nearly as much as a Lynn Swan or anybody before him to the idea of we need a USC guy. I think he is certainly – living in a world where he's going to find the guy that fits the right way. And even if that guy, whether it's, I don't know, maybe it's Brett Brennan from San Jose state. Maybe it's Joe Brady out of the NFL. Maybe it's like, I think he's going to, there will be no stone left unturned. I feel a lot better about him making a hire than a lot of, than the other guys making a hire. So it's going to be interesting, but, and, and I don't mean to belabor this point, but we could talk all this talk about talk about quarterbacks and, 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 recruiting rankings but at the end of the day USC needs somebody to ground them and to become a team that you don't want to get into a fist fight with which is for all the glitz and glam and and, and Reggie Bush and 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 yes for for Reggie Bush guess what they also had Lindell White and Lindell White would run you slap over and you know and then you go through these guys whether it's the, that tri, that 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 triumphant of linebackers with Ray Malaga and and, and Clay Matthews and and the, the big dude that played for the Texans that I can't remember his name right now, but literally like they would, that's a team you didn't want to fight getting off the bus with Taylor Mays. And like, they didn't want, you didn't want to fight them when they got off the bus. And I think the glitz and glamor, it, it reminds me a lot of talking about like the Showtime Lakers where, yeah, they scored 125 points in a game in games. But the reality of it is, is they also played defense and they were a tough team. And guess what? James Worthy would knock your socks off if he had to. And I guess for me, that's everybody is so enamored with the idea of L.A. and the whole deal. But at the end of the day, 
Somebody's got to get somebody's got to get a little bit dirty and get a bloody nose to make this whole thing go. Yep, and and I just want to underscore one other point that you made, which was when you're making a change in week two, it means you made a mistake. Like yes. this is not when you do it. This is so similar to when LSU had to let Les Miles go, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're doing it now, it means you should have done it at least in the last off season, maybe the off season before. And what you're now putting yourself in a situation, like the only reasons to make midseason changes is to signal to your boosters and your, you know, season ticket holders that you're, you, you know, things are bad. You're going to change something and to get a jump on a search, right? Like, especially Chris What's mentioned. The jump? Well, What's it's the jump. I think the jump is vetting guys who are currently coaching. But then if you do want to try to make a run at a Bob Stoops, Chris Peterson type, right. you so- are ahead of others. And here's my big thing, and obviously, I like I we. I but, I, but I'm but I'm anti I'm anti midseason, sir. Yeah. Like I I don't like this. Right. I think the whole jump thing is total BS. Unless you're hiring somebody that doesn't have a job right now, it's BS. Um, because you're not getting a jump. You have to do. You have to wait until they're done. Because they're not going to leave their job midseason, which right. means you're not getting an upper hand. Like, and I lived through this. Right. They fired Coach Bunning. A couple weeks before the end of the season, when I was at UNC, you don't get a and the only jump, the jump they got was they hired Butch Davis because Butch Davis was working for CBS. He was not working for a school and doing his job and game planning and doing all that stuff. So if you're going to hire someone that has a job, you're not getting a jump. And you know what you're getting? You're, you know, what's I don't know what the opposite of a jump is, but that's what you're getting right now with recruiting. Yes, you well, have well and and. Your current players, like you were just mentioning, you're just there, yeah. and and your administration's kind of given up on your season. I, I think too, you're doing it so that that person doesn't save their job. Like if yep. for some reason USC won out, then you're stuck, right? Like there's there's some reasons and justifications people say, but to me, but you've introduced you, a whole new variable. Yes, and you should have just done this. Coach. You should have just done this in December. Remember, we've we've seen this with USC already, right? Yep. Because with Ed Orgeron, the interim coach, picking up steam and then people being upset they didn't hire him. I don't think they're upset and, now. And Clay Helton. Yeah, it, the interim. Well, that's that's what I was gonna say. Was like, so we've <laughs> seen it happen multiple times. And then obviously not just USC, but what, Bill Stewart at West Virginia and like the whole like this, we've seen this whole thing kind of go. And it's I don't know, I just it feels messy and a mess. And I mean that's I mean, I think reality, I think we hit everything. Like, I you can tell that I am not, I don't love this at all. I think it's bad for the players. I think it's obviously a miscarriage of of responsibility on the people that are above Clay Helton. If you were this close to firing him, you should have let him go. That so you could so you could have a real season with a real coach, and so that you could have a real off season and a real recruiting season with a real coach. I think that the glitz and glam and the idea of like, we're going to bring in the air raid and throw it far and that's going to be great. And like, that sounds really cool. But at the end of the day, like, and I mean, no disrespect to these players. I know that they're trying their hardest. I know that they're working as hard as they can. They're not being put on the right path. I, I, I blame coaches a lot more than I blame players, like in instances like this. And I just, if, if you're not going to get, salty and get mean and ball your fist up and fight like seeing get like I'm, and this is so cliche but like if you're getting pushed around by stanford 
Like, you're supposed to be some real-ass Gs. Like, real dudes. And you're getting pushed around by nerds. And that's like your whole, like, and you're like, well, I guess that's what happened. You got, like, I want USC to be, I want them to be good. And I want them to be mean and bad. They, like, it's very, and I know I got, I'm saving it for my last call, but it's the same thing with Florida State. Like, you can't get pushed around by these guys. You're supposed to be mean. All right, let's switch over and and talk about the football. Sure. Um, I think this is something we probably should do each week, but I, I like this question of, you know, who do we feel good about? Coming yeah. out of the weekend, who do we trust? Who do we buy into? Um, and, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot because I think one of the narratives that's already starting to form around the season is, like, everybody's bad. And, mm-hmm. and I don't – not, like, bad, bad, just inconsistent or you just don't know who to trust. I think, you, you know, you not mentioned – yeah, yeah. So, so who is and and who do we trust? I mean, outside of Alabama, who Nick Saban was furious with because they didn't look great for the first couple drives anyway. Sure, they weren't crisp. I mean, I, I, but Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson to me still feel I feel good about them. And then Oregon enters the chat, and I think they they belong somewhere in that. I don't listen if you because Clemson has a loss. You want to put? I don't care about the rankings. I, in terms of teams that I feel good about, those are the four that I feel maybe the best about. I think that next for me is probably some we like. Gee, I don't. I mean, Cincinnati, Iowa, they're in the. I feel pretty good about them. Like Cincinnati, I'm still waiting to see what happens this weekend. Obviously, uh, as they take on Indiana, but the reality of it is, is there's. There's not a lot to feel good about. There's not a lot to be excited for. There's not a lot. And for me, that's not a negative on the sport or a negative reflection of it because it does give me a little, it gives me more things to look at and more things to watch and more interesting matchups because it's a game of matchups and it's interesting to see how I can feel good about, I feel bad about Oregon coming out of week one because Fresno State punched up. And then feel good about them out of week two because I think that the play design was really good and they were able to exploit a lot of what Ohio State's not good at. And now, listen, I, do I feel good about Ohio State? Offensively? Sure. 600-something yards? Fantastic. But also, your defense, in a, the defensive inability to adjust. And you know what? I don't. Everybody's putting all the blame on Kerry Coombs. I'm not. I'm going to take some off of him and I'm going to put some on the actual players because if you can't scrape and crack replace things that I know have been taught in practice, then you can't like, what are you, you, you can't be on the field. And the fact that they've, and we mentioned this in our preview, right? What that linebacking group is going to look like. They're still shuffling the pieces, whether it's Cody Simon or Taraja Mitchell or it's uh, Tommy Eichenberg like, they don't know who's going to play for them at linebacker still. Yes. So that was one of that was one of my main takeaways um, as well. Now we're talking about teams we don't feel great about. So my question with Ohio State and the defense is part of the reason everyone is blaming this on the coordinator is, is scheme and the use of personnel, the rotating, playing too many guys possibly, et cetera, et cetera. Question is, what can you fix in season? 
Because, okay, you're shaking your head at the scheme question. You don't think it's the scheme. Every defense is designed to be good. Every one of them. Every single defense is designed to stop the stop plays. It's just like every single play is designed to score a touchdown. There's not a, with the exception of a quarterback sneak, there's not a single offensive play that's not designed to score a touchdown. They're all designed to score a touchdown. Every defensive play is designed to stop the ball at the line of scrimmage. And, or force an incompletion if it's a pass. So, so, so the bigger issue then to you, and to, again, this is also part of it, is, is adjusting, right? Like Oregon beat them on the same types of plays over and over and over again. Yes, and that is, and so there's, 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 there are two things. One, it's one of two things. One, in the play, and I, I drew it up, it's one, it's the, the two C.J. Verdell touchdowns are the, the big look at it because what you have is a cut split from the wide receiver, from the tight end, whatever, what have you, on the left side, on the short side of the field. He cracks. When he goes to crack that linebacker or that safety, that corner is supposed to come hard in and set the edge. Now, if you're playing man, that corner doesn't realize he has to come in and set the edge. He just follows him because he thinks it's a slant or a crossing route. So now what you have is a cracked linebacker or a safety, a corner who's also right there with the, with the crack. They're globbed up. Nobody else can get over top of them. Now, there was, the, the second touchdown was a three for one block. A three for one block with a pin and pull from the tight end, pull, pinning the defensive end inside, a pull from the tackle, a guard pulls. Now you have two guys out in front with one guy blocking three guys. That's all, that's going to be a touchdown every single day. And Shaw's a little slow. I think that's his name, 17. He's a little slow. And not slow in terms of speed, but slow in terms of react. Because, but he's probably slow in terms of react because he expects the play to get turned back inside because the edge should be set, but there's no edge set. The first touchdown from CJ Verdell, you get a one, it's a, it's a one by three formation. You get a crack, crack. What the corner goes in with the crack. There's no crack replaced. So you don't have an edge set and they option off the defensive end. Brown gives a great look at the mesh point, rides it hard. And then all of a sudden he gives it to Verdell. The defensive end is in no man's land. And now we've got a guy pulled out in front and we've got him scoring. Like this, it, I, I'm working on something mentally here that I, I'm probably going to put out later this week, but play zone defense. If you're having issues with stopping the run, play zone defense. That's the beauty of Iowa is they play zone defense. The difference between zone and man is in zone, you have 22 eyeballs looking at what's happening. And in man, you have 12. And that's a ten different, ten, five different sets of eyes not paying attention to it is, it's a lot. And it's frustrating to watch. It's a, it's a problem that LSU has as well. It's part of why UCLA was able to, to run all over them. Because when you have a guy, when you, like, and to put it basically, like, if you have a two by two formation, two wide receivers, two wide receivers, and then you have one running back in the backfield. So if it's man to man, these two by twos, that's four defenders that are taken up. If you just run straight up the field with those four guys, those four guys are out of the picture. If they have a single high safety, that's another guy. That's five guys out of the picture. And now you have five offensive linemen against four defensive linemen, two linebackers. It's a, it seems like six on five, except we have a quarterback who can run, like Anthony Brown, and then you have a running back. So now it's seven on six. 
And you don't get help from any of those guys that have ran away. And I just think that, and maybe it is a Coombs thing because it comes down to teaching. And I know they've got youth and I know they're not healthy. But well, or, or, or switching to, to zone. I mean, these are things yeah. the coordinator can do. I mean, because that's what I'm, that's what I'm most curious about is. But you if know, they we can't t- play it, you can't switch it. If they can't, if they can't play it. You can't switch to it, and that's a big, and that goes. But again, here, that here, comes this back is teaching. so that, and yes, and also to off-season stuff that we were talking about with Clay Helton. Yeah. This defense had some of these problems last year. They just didn't yes. lose a big non-conference game over yep. them, and Ryan Day didn't make any changes. They didn't like the off-seasons when you fix this stuff or add things and yeah. adjust and figure out if you can go zone, if you can't. What is your linebacker rotation? Like all these things that are supposed to be figured out in the off-season. Can you do that week two to week six here? Where you've got Tulsa, you've got some teams that like can't like what what is what is reasonable to ask? Yeah, what is what can they do in season? I think that in their zone, and they've had this same issue before, and it's 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 weird that they've had this same issue with a completely different coordinator, a completely different cast of of players. They've had the same issue with respect to playing zone and leaving holes open because they don't pattern match. So that's one of the big things. That's a thing that Goodness, going back to 20, I think 13, maybe it was, uh, they didn't pattern match very well. They left, they spot dropped, which left holes in the zone. And then we saw after Everett Withers left, bring in a new DC, and now they start to move to the ball in those catches that were in zone. And that's why a lot of people don't like zone because they feel like people are spot dropping. But the reality is good zone coverage, you pattern match, and then you ca- you, 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 you carry and, and, and pick up new guys. But the, anyways, that's, it's another thing. But the point I'm making is what can they fix? The first thing they have to fix is that linebacking core. Um, that group, they, they got to figure out who their players are. And we talked about this preseason. Is it going to be Eichenberg and Taraja? Is it going to be Simon and Taraja or Simon and Eichenberg? Who, who, who is it going to be? And I can't remember his name, the number 22 guy. Here's another one. I have like I just they're all numbers in my thing. I just happen to remember a couple of their names. But who's it gonna be? Who are these guys gonna be? Because you cannot have the speed deficiency that we saw a year ago, two years ago out of Tough Boylan. You cannot have the over pursuit, which we've seen multiple times from Eichenberg and from Taraji. You can't have that. You have to have guys that fit into their boxes. So it's gonna be interesting to see how they flush out this this linebacking core. By the way, they also have to get healthy in the secondary. I mean, Proctor obviously was carted out. He's out for the year. Yeah, like he's he was their best. He was their guy in the secondary, and that's brutal. And pre being carted out, he was already completely banged up. I saw him out there with the Douglas restraint. Those things suck to wear. And well, they have to figure out what to do with Shaw. Shaw's got to. They got to figure out what to do with him. They've got to figure out what these what their core. Because we're talking linebacker rotation, they got to figure out what they're going to do at corner. These guys are good; they're good. They can cover, but can they talk and communicate and understand? Even if it's in man, understanding crack replace in man, understanding when you tango, understanding operating at different levels. That's the other thing that I think it's coaching, but it's also players recognizing it themselves. They didn't operate at different levels. And there's that first touchdown from Verdell. It's a one-by-three formation. And on the three side, you can clearly see they're at different levels. And the reason you want to be at different levels is so if guys cross, you're not exchanging. If guys cross, 
you cross at your level, he crosses at his level, he crosses at the next level. And it's different levels, so you're not running into each other. But on the play side, you have a corner, a linebacker, they're all they're both at around the same level, and so there's no scrape over top, there's no exchange, and that leads to clogging it up. And they did it again for those two touchdowns. So yeah, that's just it's they've got to figure out they there's little small thing communication they have to clean up, all those little things. I didn't this that's it's yes, that's yes. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, let's go back a little bit to the teams that we are trying to figure out how we feel good about them. Um, so Oregon, yeah. the flip side of this. Sure. And then also, I- I'm pretty curious about what you make of Iowa. I, I feel like they... So-, so two things. Now they're suddenly in the top five. And they benefited, I think, more than anybody else in the country from playing a conference game week one because mm-hmm. it helped them leapfrog. Um, they look great against Indiana, and then they do what they do to Iowa State. They are – the defense is 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 good. They are incredibly like, – I don't know if they're going to be able to turn all these takeaways into points the entire season that they do this, but the offense is going to have to win them a game at some point. It's going to have to come alive for more than, like – two drives in a game. Um, but I, I I feel like they're very solid. I feel like we're all starting to buy into them. And, you know, for anyone who didn't watch them play over the last six games of last year, maybe some of this is new. But this does just feel like a pretty vintage Iowa team. And I don't know if they're a top five team, but I, I do think, like, this is a team I'm I'm feeling pretty good about. Just yeah, not, I like not offensively. Yeah. They, yeah. they play football the way I love for football to be played. And I love that about them. Like, they are – they're defense forward. They play zone. They got eyes on the quarterback. They all rally to the run. They they will – they'll knock you straight in the dirt. I love that. Um, you said two drives. I'm going to say one drive. They had one 71-yard drive for a touchdown. And then they had a field goal where they lost yards on the drive and scored still. So the short porch isn't going to work for – that's not a thing that's going to persist all the time. Uh, bad outing from Iowa State. Bad luck, too. And I think this is something that folks don't realize. All turnovers aren't forced. Some turnovers are luck. And one of the lucky turnovers they got was a guy who dropped an on-the-spot pass that he probably would have been able to pick up a first down on. 
it went right through his hands and straight to a defender. And next thing you know, you've got a, you know, you got an interception where you can, you can get points off of that. So I don't think that's sustainable, but I love Laporta. I love Goodson. Um, I think the big key is going to be Petrus and getting him. He's going to have to, again, like you mentioned, win a game at some point. I don't know if that's going to be what, Wisconsin, or is that in the Big Ten Championship game against Ohio State or whoever makes it there? I don't know what that, I don't know when that is, but it's going to have to happen. I like 16, um, the little punt returner slash wide receiver. He's good. And I like Iowa. I like, honestly, I think they belong in the top five based on what we've seen over the course of this season. I think they certainly belong in that orbit because they've been more impressive than anybody else. But I also think they're a team that, I guess at the end of the day, you have to ask, what, what's the ceiling, right? Like, what's, this, what's, their, what's their, like, what do you think their ceiling is? Right. I think we obviously now think of them as the favorites in the Big Ten West. Uh-huh. But it's hard to believe in, like, defensively, sure, they could do more than that. But th- this is what's hard about this era of college football. And this is kind of why, you know, and again, not that I don't think Michigan's going to, like, run the ball as many times they did and never throw in all their games. But people, like, there's certain... Well, yes. But it was... It's like, you know, Michigan fans come out of that game like, yeah, that was awesome. Players loved it. Like, but, you know, are we going to be able to win big games this way in this era of offenses? And it's kind of like that with, with Iowa, too. I mean, like, obviously what they do is really solid. It's who they are. They can get to Rose Bowls. They can get to Big Ten Championship games this way. But can they win them with with without an explosive offense in a game where you do have to keep up? Like, that's that's the question. So I don't know. I mean, do you, do you think they can win a Big Ten championship? Yeah, I do. I think they can win the Big Ten. Uh, I don't think they're going to shut down. I think, listen, if, like based on what we have right now, if you put line up Ohio State and Iowa right now, Iowa's going to find some big plays because Ohio State's willing and able to give them up. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that they're probably number two, number three in the Big Ten. And they're going to have an opportunity to show that they're number one. They feel very Michigan State-ish. Um, from when they went to the Rose Bowl, when they went to the playoff. And I don't think that's a bad spot to be in. I think that's the spot that they want to be in. Because if you mess around and have a bad day, Brock Purdy, who got benched, guess what? They're going to be right there waiting for you to take advantage of every mistake. And this is one of those things that I think about a lot. I think Iowa, I think Michigan State's trying to get back to being that. I think obviously Wisconsin. I think um, I think about Virginia and Bronco Mendenhall, and I think Utah is another one of those football teams. They will not lose a football game. You have to beat them, and I think that is a unique quality to carry in your back pocket in the world of college football that we live in, because. I think TCU, when they're good, they fit into that category as well. Yeah, yeah. They will not lose. You have to beat them. And putting the burden of beating them on the shoulders of the opposition goes a long way to getting wins because they walk out expecting to win. And unless you physically beat them down and show – like they're going to test your muster and you got to pass the muster every time. 
they will not let they're not going to give you the chance to make it easy. They they like it hard. Like you it, it's it's going to be a hard life every day. And that's the that's the world that they live in. Let's spin it forward before we get out of here a little bit to week 3 um mm-hmm. and there are going to be some hard games for some some there's, there's actually a really interesting slate this yeah. week. Um, so let's, let's quickly hit on some of these big games. We've got Alabama, Florida, Auburn goes to Penn state. We were talking about this before we got on, uh, to record. It's, mm-hmm. I think the first time Auburn is going to play at a big 10 school non-conference play since 1931. I mean, it is, that's going to be actually pretty awesome. Um, a whiteout game, you know, BYU, ASU, Cincinnati, Indiana, which was a game that was really excited about before uh week one so but still a big opportunity for for both sides to prove something um i know you're excited about nevada kansas state what what are some of the you know quickly what are some of the things that you are looking for as you as we start to turn our attention to next week's well i mean bama florida is going to be interesting i mean florida's i obviously we got to see if anthony richardson is healthy or how healthy can he be which is going to be that's step one two Florida's a team of explosive plays, which means Alabama's defense is going to have to they're, – like, they're going to show some vulnerability and they're going to be attacked. And, and I think that Mullen is going to do a good job of attacking them. They played, a, what, a one-score game last year in the SEC championship game. So this is going to be interesting. I um, am very interesting to see – I'm very curious to watch Bryce Young in his first big spot. Like, you can say talk that talk you want about Miami, but this is his first real big spot. And against Miami, let me see – Against Miami, he threw. They let him throw the ball twenty plus yards, I think nine times, which is that's good. It's way more than the two that Georgia let JT Daniels throw against Clemson. So I think that they trust him to move the ball down the field. I think that they're a team that's recognizing we have to have big plays, and hopefully we'll see. Well, I, I think we're going to see a game that plays into the thirties. So this is going to be pretty interesting to see. But I'm very I'm focused on Bama's big plays and then how Alabama's defense is able to, to cut short some of those plays. And then Auburn-Penn State, this is our first, like, what, real look at Auburn, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So we'll get a first real look at Auburn. Uh, BYU able to win the Holy War a week ago, which was awesome for them. And Best 48-hour uh, period in, in program history. Yeah. Big 12, Holy big, War, snap bingo. streak. Yeah, Big 12 snaps the Holy War streak. I mean, I, I really like Kalani Sataki. I think he is. Me too. He's a breath of fresh air and just a guy that, like, he cares. He feels very Will Muschampy to me, like, in terms of how excited he is on the sidelines and animated. Probably like a nice Will Muschamp, though, not a guy that's just screaming angry. And I like Gunner. I think Gunner Romney's good, man. He's really good. And obviously the Hall kid at quarterback is, like, they're, they're not missing that big of a beat with Zach Wilson going to the next level, which is good for them. And then we'll get to see Jaden Daniels and, and what ASU brings. Um, ah, I mean, Indiana, Cincinnati lost a little bit of luster. Um, you know what also lost a little luster? Or maybe a lot? The Nebraska-Oklahoma game? Yeah. that uh, one's. I don't know what the spread is on that game, but it'll be, uh, it'll be worse. That one's going to be – that's going to be a tough one. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm very excited to see Nevada and K-State. I like um, – uh, what is it, Toa, the running back there? And then they – in K-State, I mean, are they good this year? They might be good. St- it depends how we feel about Stanford, right? Like, Yeah. 
Like they Stanford struggled with 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 both Tanner McKee and Jack West. I'm a big Tanner McKee fan. Like I've this guy's been on my radar since probably I guess 2016, end of 2015, and he got to see him in person in 2017. And I thought that he belonged in the discussion with like with Lawrence and Fields and the rest of those guys. And everybody forgets about him because he goes on a mission and then takes a while to get your body back. It takes a while to like get your body back from you know being on a mission trip. Where you don't have like a full gym, so excited. I, I think Stanford's going to be good. I think K State just whooped them because outside of the quarterbacks, they also were pushing them around, and I think that's a big part of it. Where we spent the top of the show talking about USC, but Stanford pushed them around. So if K State can push around Stanford, I think listen, we're going to do a little transitive properties here, but push them around. So I'm excited to see if Nevada can 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 go out and get two Power Five wins. It's going to be interesting. Yep, I'm excited to break down all those games with you next week. Uh, but before we get out of here for uh, Power Hour, we have to do our last calls, which yeah. for everyone who is new, a last call is a shout out or a rant. Something you would be doing, order a last round of drinks somewhere and you're either giddy or you're upset. And I will go first. Sure. Mine is all positive vibes, all good. I went to my first game in two years this weekend. I was at Oregon, Ohio State, which turned into be turned out to be quite a memorable game. And it was incredible, A, to walk around and see fans tailgating. Incredible to be in a full stadium. And then I got to be down on the field for the last eight minutes of the game. And it was when Ohio State was coming back. There was just this, it was, it was electric. And I cannot explain how like therapeutic that felt after the COVID season and after just, you know, everything was so tense and stressful. And I'm imagining like these teams playing in front of empty stadiums, like significant games and it just feeling like a scrimmage. I mean, it just felt so normal. I felt like everything was ratcheted up a little bit more than usual because people were just so happy to be there. And it's just this is just a last call. Cheers to college football and to, to fans and in the energy that that's brought because we've talked about this a lot. This was a sport that desperately needed that. That's what makes college football college football. I got to be like five feet away from the band and the cheerleaders, all these things, all these aspects of college football that weren't there last year. So just a little sappy, but it was awesome to be around. It was awesome to be right on the field and be surrounded by it. It was great. I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad you enjoyed that. <laughs> felt normal felt it yeah. was great i know i know you hate people so <laughs> it would not be you would not love to be in the center of a hundred thousand people but no. but it was it was great and but um here's so the, my worth and value as an employee is is built in my ability to watch multiple games and to just be at home and draw stuff and write things that's it so i'm glad you had a good time i'm sure you i'm sure it was worth it that's fantastic um, for me, I am, I, listen, I'm going to show a little bit more of how upset and angry I can be at times. I'm sick of people calling the Jacksonville State play a Hail Mary. Um, I find it to be quite infuriating, and that's not a Hail Mary. Even the quarterback, Zarek Cooper, said it's four verts. We just called four verts. We, we missed on it the, the play before, so we ran it again. And here's the reality. A Hail Mary is a play. It's a specific play. Now, I'm going to ask you, Auerbach. Do you know what a Hail Mary actually looks like? Like the desperation play. level? No, the, the play. The play 
of a Hail Mary. It's a play. It's an actual football play. Probably not. I would just assume that you're just trying to block as long as possible and just. No. No. Okay. So here's what you got. Here's what you got, right? Usually run it with trips. You can run it to doubles and bring somebody over. But when you run a Hail Mary, there are three elements that make that thing a Hail Mary. The first element, first guy down the field goes all the way to the back of the end zone. He's the catcher in the back. The second guy goes to the goal line. He's the catcher. He's the jumper. The the third guy goes to the five, the three, whatever, and he catches the tip if it comes back to the field, and then he runs it and tries to run it into the end zone. There are examples of real actual Hail Marys being played. Nebraska ran one uh, recently, Alshon Alshon Jeffrey in South Carolina, I think in like the Outback Bowl or something, against Nebraska, I believe. They ran one. Um, Auburn in the SEC championship game against South Carolina, they ran a Hail Mary. Wisconsin against Michigan State, Hail Mary where Keith Nichols scores the touchdown. It's a play. It's not just a desperate throw down the field. It's an actual play. And people calling things Hail Marys that aren't Hail Marys, like, it just, like, you've clearly, you haven't been at a football practice, have you? Because we, everybody, whether you call it a Hail Mary, you call it clock, whatever you call it, it's a thing. And it's, I am, I'm so furious at the point that people are like, and Jacksonville State went on a Hail Mary. Listen, a Hail Mary is a prayer, but not all prayers are Hail Marys. And they threw up a prayer, but it was not a Hail Mary. That's all. I think people just uh, only assume you can win on a Hail Mary. I don't think. That's just like comes out of people's mouths. Words mean stuff. (laughs) Words have meanings. But I legitimately think that's what happened here. Uh, Lesson, as always, we learned something from Michael Felder and the true meaning of a Hail Mary. That'll be it for this week's Power Hour. Thank you for listening if you are not already an Athletic subscriber, you can sign up at theathletic.com slash Nicole for a special for your first year. Andy Staples and friends, subscribe to us, rate and review us. There's lots of shows on this feed the rest of the week. Andy and Ari Wasserman will be back with their usual antics later in the week. And Michael Felder and I will be back next Tuesday for the next episode of Power Hour. Thank you for listening.